Philippians, and uh, it's called Overflowing Joy, and this morning we're going to be looking at the whole uh, issue of praying and the importance of prayer. So we're going to read uh, some verses from the beginning of Philippians. The wor- uh, it will come up behind me on the screen behind. So I'm going to read them to you, and you can follow uh, on the screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So today we're starting a series called Overflowing Joy. We're looking at this letter to the church in Philippi. Even though it was written over 2,000 years ago, it is full of encouragement to us. We live in a world that is desperately in need of a huge dose of joy. I had uh, a message uh, from Peter over Christmas, and he said, Steve, you might want to read this Twitter feed. And um, in in it, he referred to an article. uh, And in it, this article basically uh, made this statement, British people have become less joyful. Looking at you this morning. Over the last uh, 60 years or so, it's suggesting that there are a number of causes for this loss of joy. And it concludes that back then, uh, that people had a better sense of perspective than we do today. And it resulted in a greater appreciation of life. Maybe it was a result of going through, for many people, going through Second World War austerity, uh, knowing there were moments when uh, maybe they lost loved ones or they knew loved ones could die very quickly uh, in war situations. And so maybe people just had a greater appreciation of life and that life was short and it was a precious thing to be enjoyed. Don't know, but that's what the suggestion is. But there is something about us needing joy in today's world. Paul's letter is full of joy. Uh, In the letter, it mentions joy six times, rejoicing seven times. And you know what? When Paul wrote this letter, there was absolutely no reason for him to rejoice at all. He was in chains in prison, probably in Rome around AD 61, 62. He'd been preaching the gospel and they'd thrown him into prison because he was preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So they threw him in prison. And prison wasn't a pleasant experience. He would have been chained, it chained in a dark dungeon. It would have been unpleasant. 
There would be no reason for him to be joyful. Every day he lived with the knowledge that he could be executed that day. And if that weren't enough, we read in Philippians that there were people around trying to stir up trouble for him in prison, as if he wasn't in enough trouble already. Life was tough. How could he write such a joyful letter? How could he write something like this that he writes in chapter 2, verse 17? He says this, Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Remarkable. Remarkable. How on earth would we react in those situations? We probably would be fairly gloomy. Paul was filled with joy. He clearly knows something. And that's exactly the point. Paul's joy is based on what he knows and what he believes. His letter to the Philippians is full of theology about who God is and what God says and what God does. And for Paul, this was what makes all the difference. You see, His ability to be joyful was due to the source of his joy. He was confident in the sovereignty of God. He believed God would do all that he had promised. Real joy, the joy that the Bible promises, comes from us uh, thinking correctly. It's a joy that Jesus himself possessed. We're told that despite being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Jesus, who went through some of the worst agony and pain that a human being could go through, which is what we remembered this morning as we broke bread, Jesus, who went through all of that for us, Jesus was able to say to his followers, I have told you the things that I've told you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus knew what it was to be filled with joy. His followers, one of his followers, James, tells us this, says this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. If we are going to live joy-filled lives, it's going to take more than us relying on how we feel. It's going to take more than that. It will involve us making good choices. God wants us to choose joy whatever our circumstances, irrespective of what people say to us. He doesn't want us to be robbed of joy. If you've read this month's What's On, if you were here at the beginning of the meeting when John opened up, he talked about uh, something I wrote in that. And uh, at the end of last year, I felt God provoke me about our attitude towards joy. You know, we can all be going in the same direction, and yet we choose which side of the street we walk in. The street's going in the right, same direction, but we can choose which side of the street we want. There's one side of the street where there's a shadow. The sun is shining, but that side of the street is in shadow. The other side is in sunshine. And we can choose to walk on the sunny side of the street, or we can choose to walk on the shady side. All too often in life, we choose to walk 
on the shady side of the street. We walk, we walk around as if actually we've got nothing good going on in our lives. Paul wants us to be people, encourages us to be people who walk on the sunny side of the street knowing we live in days when Jesus Christ has died on the cross that we might have a relationship with God. We can know God. We can have a relationship with a Father in heaven who loves us completely, totally and utterly. There is no reason why we can't every day walk on the sunny side of the street. Warren Wearsby says this, Those who have trusted Christ have the privilege of experiencing fullness of joy. Yet few Christians take advantage of this privilege. They live under a cloud of disappointment when they could be walking in the sunshine of joy. What a great quote. This morning, we're going to look at one of the keys to living a joy-filled life. And it's an unusual-looking key that opens the door of joy. And the key is prayer. Listen to what Paul says in this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Goes on in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. For, for Paul, prayer and joy seem to be inextricably linked. Larry Lee, uh, many years ago, wrote a book called Learning the Joy of Prayer. For, for a lot of us, actually, nothing could be further from the truth. We really struggle with prayer. We dread prayer meetings We find it hard work, and for the most part, we find it joyless. Why? The reason, I believe, is simple. We don't comprehend the greatness of God. We don't appreciate the privilege we have of praying to God. And consequently, we miss out on the joy that could be ours. And so this morning, we're going to spend just a little time unpicking that and looking at these verses in Philippians chapter 1, the first 11 verses, which seem to be full of joy-filled prayer. And it's going to be a provocation to us, which will, I believe is going to fill our souls with joy. And the first thing I want us to see is that joy comes because prayer works. Praying works works. We've just heard Brian's testimony. Praying works. When Liz was sending around emails to people asking them to pray, and we're praying for healing for for David, Actually, it, it looked like it, uh, he was going to die. But in the moment, we, people started to pray for his salvation. People would have been praying for David to come to faith for years. His mother would have prayed for years and years and years. And there's a moment 
where David asks to see her minister. And he goes in to see him, and he leads him to Christ. He comes to Christ. Could have been his last moments. And then above and beyond that, God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And suddenly there's hope where there seems to be no hope. But I want to tell you this, that even if he died in that moment, he would have gone to be with Christ forever and ever and ever. This life is just a foretaste of what's going to happen. And the key is coming to know Jesus Christ, that we may have a relationship with our Father in heaven. Prayer works. This was a joy-filled church in Philippi that knew how to pray. It had been birthed out of prayer. The, whole, the, the, the beginnings of the church are birthed in prayer. As you read through the book of Acts and you read how the church in Philippi started when Paul visited. He has a dream in the night and a, in the, the dream, a vision. A man from Macedonia calls and says, come and help us. And So Paul goes over to Macedonia and ends up in Philippi. And as, he gets, as he's in Philippi... He goes down to a place of prayer on the Sabbath. Uh, He knows that there's going to be people gathering to pray. So he goes to where he expects to find people praying. And uh, he gets there and a place of prayer. And he speaks to some God-fearing women. And there's a, a lady there called Lydia. And Paul tells them about Jesus. He tells them about how what Jesus did on the cross for them. And as he talks, Lydia's heart is opened and she comes to faith, her and her whole household. A little while later, Paul is again going to a place of prayer. And as he's going, there's this, uh, there's this slave girl who's possessed by a demon and she's, she's going behind him and she's, going, uh, she's just shouting out all the time. And in the end, Paul gets fed up of it and he turns around and he casts the demon out. Now the issue is this demon has given this girl the ability to foretell the future and her owner's income depends on this girl's ability, demonic abilities. Suddenly it's all gone in a moment and the owners throw their toys out of the pram and they cause a a, a riot in the city and Paul is brought before the magistrates and the magistrates have beaten him and Silas and they're thrown in prison. They don't give up. They don't feel sorry for themselves. In midnight, we're told that they're singing songs to God, praying and worshipping God in the middle of the night, in prison, chained. Suddenly there's an earthquake, all the doors open, their chains fall off. But they don't go anywhere, they keep worshipping God. All the prisoners, instead of running away, they stay there. The Philippian jailer thinks... The Philippian jailer thinks that they've all gone and he's about to kill himself because if he loses those in, he's in charge of, it's his life for theirs. And Paul says, don't do anything. We're here. We're all here. And he goes in and he, he, he's staggered that these people are worshipping God. What, they could have run away. Why didn't they? And Paul shares the gospel with him. And he and his whole household get saved. And we're told that he's filled with joy. This is a church that was birthed out of prayer, filled with joy. And so when Paul writes to them, this is the context 
in that he's writing into. See, Paul was a man committed to prayer because he was convinced that prayer worked. Nothing could stop him praying. Prison, chains, opposition, disappointment, busyness. He said things like this, every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you. How committed are we to prayer? Do we believe prayer works? This passage reminds us that praying works for two reasons. Firstly, it it works because of who God is. Paul's joy-filled praying came out of his confidence in the one to whom he was praying to. He says this in verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God always finishes what he starts. He's the perfect starter, finisher. We're told when Paul goes to the place of prayer and he preaches the gospel to Lydia, it says, the Lord opened her heart. It was God who saved her. God who caused her to be receptive to the gospel. God is faithful even when we're faithless. He never gives up. So when we pray, we are praying, we are, we're pushing against an open door, against a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who listens to us and loves us because he loves us. You see, prayer works because God is God, we are in Christ, and he is our Father. Some will tell you we don't need theology, we just need to pray. But until we grasp the truth, we will struggle to know the overflowing joy that can be ours through prayer. Prayer works because of who God is. But prayer works as well because of who we are, who we are now. You see, Paul's opening comments to the Philippians, they're no platitudes. He's reminding them of their identity They are saints in Christ Jesus, holy ones. Their identity has been changed. They were uh, 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 sinners, but they're not anymore. They're not like that anymore. They're saints. They're holy. They're holy ones in Christ. Jesus Christ has made all the difference. Because he died for them, their sin is washed away. They stand before God, acceptable, pure, and holy. They can stand before a God who is holy without shame. Amazing. This letter is written to all the saints. Every one of them is like that. It's not just a few. And it says to all the saints. And then it says together with the leaders. The leaders come second. This is for everyone. This is for all of us. This isn't just for a special few. This is for all of us. Who we are in Christ makes all the difference. Prayer works because we have a Savior. We have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, one who's paid the price for us, standing in heaven at the Father's right hand, who always intervenes, intercedes for us. Prayer works because of who we are. God is our Father. We should now come with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace, knowing that he will help us in our time of need. He is our Father. He is no disinterested deity. 
We can come to one who loves us deeply. He loves you deeply. Each one of you. If he, as Paul tells the Roman believers, if God didn't spare his own son for us, will he not give us? How will he not give us all things? God wants to bless us. It's theology, good theology, that stirs us to pray to our Father in heaven with great joy. Listen to what Andrew Murray says. This is what he says. Each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. If we get this, if we know who he is, if we understand who we are in Christ, I tell you, we will have confidence that prayer works. It will bring joy to our souls. Secondly, joy is found in praying for others. Paul wants them to know that he's praying for the whole church. He says, all of you in Verse, one to, uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. Paul wants them to know he's praying for all of them. He's praying for them. I don't know about you, but when you're having a tough time, and maybe someone comes up to you and says, I just want you to know I've been praying for you. Maybe you get a text early in the morning, or you're at work and it's a bit difficult, and someone just says, just thinking about you, praying for you. Maybe you're somewhere and someone comes up and offers to pray for you at the end of a meeting. Maybe in your community group. Maybe a situation you go and offer to pray for a neighbor. Praying for others can make all the difference. Knowing someone is praying for you can lift your spirits and bring joy in the midst of difficulties. It will do them good. Some, our neighbor across the way from us, his wife is really ill. And Annie just went over and, and offered to pray for them. They were so touched by that. He keeps coming back. He, he came back before Christmas and said, um, he said, just wanted to know that uh, it's been a real answer to prayer. My wife's got onto this course of chemotherapy, this trial drug, there was no hope there, given us some hope now, and that was a result of, of Annie praying. He said, he said to me, he said, prayer works. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't go to church. He comes round over Christmas, and he says to me, he says, he says, he says it again, he says, Steve, he says, prayer works, he said, actually, he said, she should be leading the church. He did, that's what he said. He has been touched because he has somehow, as, as Annie went to pray and offered to pray for him, somehow the God of heaven broke into his heart and did something and has made him aware that there is a God. I don't know what he believed before. I don't know where he stands with God. My prayer is that he comes to know him for himself and his wife. But I want you to know that praying for others brings joy. It brought great joy to our souls and it brought joy to his. It encourages, when you know that someone's praying for you, it encourages you to believe God for a breakthrough. When you pray for other people, it brings joy to your soul. 
Paul prayed for these Philippians out of relationship. He clearly loved them. It says, I have you in my heart. He longed with them with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. It gave him great joy to be able to pray for them, even though he was miles and miles and miles away in bleak circumstances himself. You can be stuck at home. You could be listening to this online and you might not be able to leave your house. And you can know joy as you pray for other people. You can be in difficult situations, lonely, but praying for others you love can help turn situations around, but it can fill your heart with joy. When we read the book of Job, we read at the end of the book of Job, it says the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for his friends, there was joy. Their joy came here. God did something, did something in his heart, in his circumstances, as he prayed for his friends. There is joy for us when we pray for others. I was talking to Jill just um, before Christmas, Jill Clements, and Jill has, uh, has, has had uh, peritonitis, had to, uh, her appendix has burst. She was really close to death. Nearly died just before Christmas. And in that moment, there was a lot of anxiety and fear. And she said, she, she was telling me, she said there was a moment when they wanted to do a procedure to drain her stomach. And as they, they went to it, she just couldn't face it. And she said in that moment, she said, I just couldn't face it. The pain, I couldn't go through anymore. I was fearful. And she said in that moment, she said, my, my phone, there was a ping on my phone. And she got a text message from someone that just said, just want you to know, praying for you. Something like that, wasn't it, Jill? And she said in that moment, she just knew God was with her. Someone was praying for her at that moment, and it pinged through just at that moment, and the nurse is pleading with her to have it done. And, and it happens. She lets it happen, and it, she said it was, it was okay, wasn't it? And that was a... I, I, Jill had been fearful, and there came a moment in this... Jill met God in hospital. And I tell you, she was telling me, you ought to, I tell you, if there was, if there was time this morning, I'd get her up to share it right now. Okay, and she, what she said was this. She said, in the night, she said, I found the presence of God. God was with me. She said, I couldn't sleep. But she said, I just found myself praying in the night into situations and people's lives. She said, I knew God with me. She had a remarkable moment. She knew the joy and the peace of God as she prayed for others. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I just testify to the goodness of God because I knew his presence absolutely and totally. And even when um, things were really shaky and a bit touch and go, I just knew that God's hands were underneath me. And the and I just thank you so much for praying because your prayers really work <laughs> and God is with us. But I do want to say that um, on, the, on the really awful day when um, I had to have this tube put down and I knew that they wouldn't be able to do this emergency operation unless they did. And um, just at that moment, um, Annie texted me and it was like God sent her to hold my hand because I, couldn't, I just couldn't go on anymore. But um, that night after the operation, I just sensed the tangible presence of God in the room with me in, in a, a way that I'd never experienced before. 
And um, because I couldn't sleep, I just thought, right, while I'm really with God like this, I would just bring him everything that needs praying about, you know. <laughs> and, um, and so one of the issues that I really brought before God was um, a work colleague of Steve's um, and his wife. They um, haven't been able to have children. And just before I went into hospital, they had IVF, and this is like the only round they're allowed to have. And um, they'd had four embryos created. Well, um, the idea was that they would implant one and then three would be frozen. So they implanted one, and the other three died. And um, so it was, um, you know, no one thought that this baby would ever survive. However, eight weeks on, there is still a living baby there, and um, she's still pregnant. And that was every time in the night when I was in hospital... If I woke up, I think, well, I just pray for this baby. I be in the presence of God and pray. And it is that being in the presence of God, isn't it? It is just dwelling with God and, um, and worshipping and, and bringing things to him. Wonderful. That's an amazing story. I, when I was with Jill, you could tell that she, had be, she, was, she was just full of the presence of God, just visiting her just before Christmas. You know, praying is also a sign, it talk, Paul talks about, of our partnership with the gospel. He talks about koinonia. The, the word actually means to have something in common. You see, when we pray, we are agreeing, uh, we are agreeing uh, together. We, are, we pray together. When we gather together tonight to pray, we're agreeing together. It's part of our partnership together in the gospel. This partnership is, is all because we are part of the body of Christ. When we come to Christ, we become part of his body. He's the head, it talks about in Corinthians, but we're the body. We're part, but each one of us have a part to play. Each one of us, each one of you have a part to play. And part of what you, the, the role you have to play is prayer. In praying for us, as we pray, we pray for each other and we pray for one another. We are acting like the body of Christ, as we were always intended to do. As we honor each other and have equal concern for each other. God's Holy Spirit flows through the body of Christ, his church where he dwells. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. The presence of God's Holy Spirit brings joy. So it should, prayer and joy are inextricably, inexplicably, inextricably linked together. There is something about us praying for one another, loving one another, giving ourselves for one another in prayer that releases something in the Holy Spirit that brings the joy of God into our hearts. This is part of the partnership of the gospel. This is why Paul says to the Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is joy released when you pray for others. Finally, joy is found, and this is very quickly, joy is found in praying for wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know much about technology, but I was listening to something the other day, and it was talking about the iPad on the, and the phone. The, 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 the capabilities that, that they have are massive. When Apollo 13 
When Apollo 13 was stuck, I think it was Apollo 13, wasn't it? It was stuck and uh, uh, there was seemingly no way of getting back and they devised this method to bring a, a Apollo 13 home. The film with Tom Hanks is all about it. But it's, they, they were saying that the, the, the energy in the battery of the uh, control module that brought them home was less than in your mobile phone. Less than in your mobile phone. That is remarkable. You've got three guys in space, thousands of miles away, and you've got more energy in your mobile phone than they had in their control module to get them home. The capacity that we have in uh, the electronic gear, it's massive, but most of us, for most of us, someone like me who's a, 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 a bit of a Luddite, I, I have no idea what the capacity is. I use such a small fraction of it. The truth is, the, cap- the capacity that we have in God, being in Christ, is massive. And similarly, all too often we use such a small amount of that capacity, simply because we don't know that we have it. And so when Paul uh, prays for the Philippians, he prays that their love might grow, but he prays that they, their love might grow in, and he talks about their knowledge growing as well. It's not that their love just needs to grow, but their knowledge needs to grow. And so Paul often uses this phrase, he talks about them growing. May you know, I pray that you may know the love of God. I pray that you may know the love of God. I pray that you may know the power of God that dwells within you. He uses phrases like that when he writes to the Ephesians and to the Philippians. And the reason is, is because we need to know some stuff. And so one of the things that we need to be praying continually is, God, help me know how much you love me. Help me know how much uh, uh, the difference your Holy Spirit makes working through me. Help me know what my praying, the impact my praying can do. Help me believe what you say and not what my feelings tell me. We need to know something. We need to pray for wisdom. Let me give you one example. You would have heard this if you were here on Christmas morning. In Hebrews 13, it says this, verses 5 and 6. As God has said, never will I leave you, never will I say, forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is theology. God has said... Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never. Never. If you love God, if you've given your life to Jesus, God promises, I will never leave you. Never. Not once. In your darkest moment, when you feel alone, I will never leave you. God has said it. He's not a man that he should lie. That is amazing. Amazing bit of theology. God will never leave you. And then it says this, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Now, this is where we get, we struggle, the the Lord is my, the God who created the heavens and the earth is my helper? Well, I, I thought I was helping him. No, 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 no. He doesn't need any help. God needs no help at all. He doesn't need our help. He gives us the privilege of partnering with him. He doesn't need our help. He's our helper. The God of heaven is our helper. So he promises he will never leave us and he's our helper. 
When you're in the toughest situation, when you feel at your lowest, when you're at your loneliest, when things are at their hardest, the God of heaven is right next to you and he's your helper. How amazing is that? Good theology. That's something we need to know because it changes how we pray. We stop praying things like, oh God, please be with me today. He's always with you. God, help me know that you're with me today. That's what we need to pray. Do you get it? Because he's there. He's not chained. He's not a liar. If he's with you, we can do all things if he's with us. Prayer works. Prayer works, my friends. It works because of who he is. Prayer works because of who he is. He is a loving father. It works because of who we are. Not because of any good in us, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we are now sons of God. How amazing. We are sons of God because Jesus Christ is the son and we are in him. Amazing. Prayer works. There is joy for us in praying for others. There's joy. We get joy when we pray for others. It releases something in us. And I want, you to, I want to say, when you feel at your lowest, if you, if you stir yourself, you say, I'm going to believe what the Bible says, that there's, there's joy in praying for others, and you give yourself pray, to pray for others, you will find yourself starting to feel differently because eventually your feelings will follow your faith. If you take that step of faith, say, I'm going to do that, I feel rubbish, I feel lonely, but I'm going to pray for them because I love them. God, would you, and as you start to do that, Things start to change in your own heart and you find the joy of God welling up. It will happen. It cannot not happen because as you are part of the body and as you are acting as part of the body, the Holy Spirit is working and one of the gifts of the Spirit releases joy. It will happen. It, will start. it, won't, be a, it won't be a crazy sort of laughing and... It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, but there's a deep-seated confidence and joy in your soul that he actually is with you, even though you've been feeling really low. And your circumstances may not actually change, but everything has changed because you know he's with you. We need to keep seeking God to grow in the knowledge that he's with us. Maybe this morning you want to, you just need to know God, as your, fa- as your father, maybe you've come this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to say, you can do that today. You can know that that's true for you. You can find him to be all that you need. Your past, everything that you've done that would have offended God can be wiped away in a moment and you can come into a relationship with a God in heaven who loves you. You can do that today. Right this morning. You could change your destiny. Just like David did when that guy visited him in hospital, introduced him to Jesus Christ, and David said, yeah, I'm going to give my life to him. Whatever happens in these next weeks and months, he will be with Jesus forever. You can do that today if you've never done it.
And for the rest of us who already know Jesus, I want to encourage you to believe God this year. He is a God who answers prayer. Prayer works. Prayer is is a pathway to knowing the joy of God. Because it's our putting our trust in him. It's not about us trying to do stuff. It's not about our abilities, our cleverness. It's about his greatness and his glory. It's about how magnificent he is. He is the God who created the stars in the universe. He threw them into space. He holds them there by his glory. He knows them by name. He knows the cells in your body. He knows the intricacies of the human. He knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. So when you come to him and pray to him, there's nothing he doesn't know. He is all-powerful. He holds everything in, in tension by his glory. If God took his hand off this world, it would fall apart in a moment, and that would be it. It is only the mercy of God that this world even exists. God could call it, put, call it to an end today if he wanted to. But his patience, we're told in Peter, said, means salvation. He wants none to perish. He wants you to come to know him. He wants us to have the fullness of joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want you to know, this year, let's be a people who say, God, I'm going to believe the truth. I'm going to commit myself to seeking your voice, to prayer this year. Praying for myself, praying for my family, but praying for others I'm going to commit myself to it. I'm going to believe prayer works. Come on, let's stand together. Let's have the musicians out. We will finish with a song in a moment. But let's just take a moment as the musicians settle themselves, get ready to lead us in a a response. A song that will help us respond to God. And wherever you're at, I want you to respond to it. If you want to give your life to God today, you want to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, you can do that as we sing the song. Say, all you need to be saying in your heart is, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, my sin, all the things I've done wrong, they're forgiven. I want to receive this new life you have for me. Maybe your response this morning needs to be, God, I've, I've struggled believing prayer works. Lord, help me this year to focus on who you are, who I am in you, to believe the truth. And even when my circumstances say, I'm going to commit myself to prayer, to praying for others, I'm expecting as I do that to be filled with joy. Maybe you need to say that to him today. Maybe you need to have your eyes lifted that you know what is true. You need help from God to know the truth. That he's always with you. He never leaves you. He's your helper. As we sing together, let that be a response to what God's been saying to you this morning. Let's let's respond.